Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hello and welcome back to the Prep to Pro NBA Draft Podcast. My name is Ben Pfeiffer and as always, I'm joined by my co-host Max Carlin. Max, how's it going? Doing well, Ben. How are you? I'm doing well and we are back with part two of our PBC talk with uh, PBC Director of Scouting, John Shepkevich. John, how's it going? What's going on, fellas? Doing pretty well. Awesome. So, so in part one, we, you know, we talked you know, about the PBC in a broad sense, um, you know, just talk all about pro basketball combine uh, and, and then we talked started talking about uh john's pbc film rooms you know the his remote film rooms with these prospects and we're going to continue talking about some more examples of those that you know stood out and what we can take away from them talk about the future of pbc and then you know more assorted things as we do so let's you know just get, get right back into it as sports keep coming back so does your chance to bet on them with our exclusive wagering partner betonline.ag Major League Baseball will soon be in full swing, and there are no shortage of ways to get in on the action. BetOnline has all the odds, futures, and props for you to bet on. Also, tune in as Floyd Money Mayweather joins the BetOnline team in a new segment called The Ice is Right, where he talks about his expansive jewelry collection. He'll give you the chance to win some great prizes and bet on the cost of his bling. Visit BetOnline.ag to check out all the odds and up-to-date sports news. Don't forget to sign up and take advantage of all the welcome back sports bonuses. Bet online, your on your online wagering experts. Yeah, so the next guy that we're going to talk about a little is Arturus Kuruks, who we've uh, kind of sung the praises of before on this podcast as a combo guard who's really a sensational shooter. Um, I, I found his his uh, film room to be really fascinating because it was a kind of look into the mind of a shooter that you don't really get, and so. Something that that's always like been kind of curious to me is like what goes into the decision of say hopping into a shot or stepping one two in a shot into a shot. Like guys certainly have preferences, but I think you, you'd be you'd be hard pressed to find a guy who does one hundred percent of the time. Um, so something like with Kuruks where where you highlighted a pass, it was a it was not a, it was an inaccurate pass, and so he adjusts to it, and he's he, he says. Um, that like it's a low pass. He realized in order to get his balance, it would be beneficial to hop into this one, even though his personal preference is to one two. Um, so I found that really fascinating to sort of get into the mind of an of like a really intricate like profession, if you're going to call it shooting a profession. Yeah. Um, it probably doesn't get attention beyond like guy shoots X percentage on X number of attempts usually, but it's really kind of an art. Uh, and I thought seeing that from Kuroks was really cool. 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, I was, uh, I, f- I forget how I happened upon it recently, but I was recently looking through a checklist of all the, it was a Coles Wicker checklist of things that he looks for in like a jump shooter's mechanics. And probably from the runners and touch piece. That yeah, that might be. Resurfaced. That might be what it was yeah. from. But uh, like I was skimming through that and I was thinking to myself, like Kuruks checks a lot of these boxes in a positive fashion, right? Like that dude is, a hell of a shooter and I was really impressed with him in the film room kind of like a his English is fantastic like that you know that was the first international guy that I've done uh he's hanging out in Latvia right now and like had no idea what his English would be like he, it was awesome and he I think did a really good job of expressing like some of the value that he's taken away from film more so in recent years as opposed to before as well like i think he he might have spoken a little bit too how you know before yeah maybe he'd rewatch his game once but now he's watching it like multiple times and paying more attention to what's happening like off the ball and with like the team construct as opposed to just himself and like you know all of that i found really interesting and kind of like uh you know, something I didn't know about him as a prospect is the extent with which he kind of values those things and isn't just, you know, just a sharpshooter, right? Yeah. Yeah. The other thing that, that really stood out to to me about him was uh, it kind of it brings me back to one of our episodes with with TJ Farrick from a while ago, talking about just learning different roles. Um, and Kuruks was was talking about learning to play off the ball because he he's a guy who's always played on the ball. Uh, and then this year, he really was saying that he had to learn how to play off the ball, and he re- he wasn't comfortable with things that you would think are, are are like considered to be easy, like shooting a corner three. Like he had to he had to learn how to relocate into that and that sort of thing. Um, and I think on that on that same clip um, with the the inaccurate pass, you know, he was talking about what his his off ball reads are in that situation. That that he knew this team's uh, from this team's scouting report that they co- collapsed pretty aggressively into right. the paint. His man his man was going to go like dig down pretty aggressively or or, or rotate down uh, behind another rotation, something like that. And so he he realized that he should probably shake up a little bit, yeah. and th- that he would probably be open there. And he was and he was spot on with that. Um, so I just found it to be really interesting to hear from him about learning a new role and, and what, what that process was like. Yeah. I think he's been more of a point guard uh, kind of growing up, but you know, his, his brother's pretty tall. Like I think it was always kind of expected that he might hit a spurt at some point. So now he's a, you know, like a solid six, four and moved off ball, more of like a combo slash wing type guy. And I mean, it's fascinating that he notes that he, wasn't super comfortable with it at first, but it, it sure seemed like it digging into the film, like, especially with the relocation stuff, the footwork, everything like that, like those types of things that you were just speaking to are the reasons why a guy like Duncan Robinson right now is like excelling to the extent that he does without taking a dribble. Right. Like, and I think, you know, I'm not saying Kuruks is going to be Duncan Robinson, but I'm saying that like, it seems like, you know, he's adapted well from making the transition from point guard to more off ball and seems to appreciate and have an understanding of the nuances of relocation and footwork and then all those things that go into shooting. 
And again, I think that adaptability is just like another point you can chalk on to like l- learning about these guys and, you know, how their shooting, you know, might improve or develop in the future. Because, you know, like, like again, like, sh- sh- like we talk about, you know, the importance of projecting shooting all the time. It- it's like one of the most important things you can do. And like, you know, these minutia like adapting to a new role and like hops versus one twos in certain situations, you know, how they're making off ball reads or, you know, off the overlooked, you know, it's really cool to, you know, have an insight into how these guys and, and like, and how these prospects think about these things in real time and like how they've like worked on them and like how they're trying to, you know, improve there. That's just like, you know, another layer into, you know, shooting, which is already very layered in itself. That's like, you know, just more depth to that. And Kuroks, I think, offered also a good illustration of a guy who was pretty aware of his weaknesses. Like, we, I think one of the growth areas you showed for him was he was operating in pick and roll, and, and he was kind of allowing some passing windows to close because he was dis- discontinuing his dribble um, and, uh, like, couldn't couldn't really transition into, into him into a pass fast enough. But he was very aware of that. He was like, I, yeah, I'm, I know that I, I have to be better with keeping my dribble alive. And I think it, w- it was a good illustration of just – being being self aware, knowing knowing what you have to improve, uh, and that, I think that's always just something that's very good to see, and and sort of like the necessary first step to actually improving. Yeah, hundred percent. So he's a guy that you know, uh, still kind of under the radar, but I would keep an eye on as far as like you know he he might not stay in this draft. I think he's an interesting kind of stash candidate, but you know if he returns and is in the twenty twenty one class, like. I wouldn't be surprised if you see even more like tangible incremental year over year improvement with him. And he kind of like is a little bit more on the radar next year if he withdraws. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So are, are there any guys throughout the, the various film rooms that you've done who have by seeing their thought process, um, understanding what they were doing in a specific instance, is there anyone who's changed what you've thought about like an aspect of their game? Oh, that's a that's a good question. I might uh, I might have to bring up the list and see. I mean, I feel like I feel like most like most of it has been the most of it has kind of been the off court stuff has been more so what I've gleaned from a lot of it, or it's kind of like further enhanced my understanding of like generally what I thought of them as a prospect, like from, you know, all the film work and like everything throughout the year. Um, But yeah, I don't know. I I can't say that necessarily there's been a guy that I've gone in that I, you know, didn't think would, you know, was like a decent pick and roll handler that all of a sudden I dig into this. And I think that, you know, I was undervaluing that. There's nothing that like immediately jumps out. But I'm sure if I skimmed back through the group of uh, 35 guys, I, I probably could find a couple things. Yeah, I mean the the, the off court insight is is I mean, val- huge value in and of itself, um, and it's the sort of thing that that without an uh, a resource like these remote film rooms, uh, guys like me and Ben would would never have any insight into. We wouldn't we wouldn't know anything about thought process or or just you know, self-awareness or all, all these sorts of things that I think are really essential to projection. Um, so we, we obviously very thoroughly appreciate that you do them and cannot recommend enough to the listeners that there are 35 of those, uh, go watch all of them. They're, um, yeah. they're really, really good. Thanks, like, man. Just, just spend a day or two 
you know, in in quarantine, hopefully just watching film rooms. Yeah, I started uh, I started doing the math on like how much time I've spent on these and it kind of <laughs> was shocking when I looked back on it, but it's because it's been so fun, right? Like it's been really fun and really like a really uh, good experience doing them. So it doesn't even seem like that much time is passing because it's like such a such a good exercise, I think. Yeah, I'm I'm still behind in them, honestly. I'm gonna get myself excommunicated for this, but I have not even watched the Killian Tilly one yet. Oh, Max, that's that's okay. It's okay. I yeah. I don't expect anybody. To, cool I don't one. expect anybody to watch all of them realistically. Like if you're if you're tuning in for a couple here yeah. and there, that's that's fantastic. But yeah, Tilly Tilly's a super cool guy. He's yeah. a funny guy. Uh, yes. So you know the the Killian Tilly one. That stands out to me. Um, a play that stands out was the, you know, it was against Oregon or Petrusa was stealing in the post with Woolridge um, um, with the ball. And then Tilly flashes to, uh, like to the free throw line and immediately enters to him for a layup. You know, it's just interesting to break, breaking down like his process of, you know, uh, oh, it's just like an automatic in that offense where there's a seal. You, you flash and high low. You know, again, just like having these insights into like offensive and defensive scheme is so valuable where you can. Like, like, like beyond understanding a player's thought process, like understand like whether they actually made a mistake or not, or whether they actually made as good of a play as you thought, like, cause you know, like if it was instilled by scheme or not, you know, it's just like, like, like we talk about like, like learn read sometimes on this podcast, um, like, like, like as a concept, but like the truth is like, it's impossible to really know like if a read is ever like learned, uh, you know, without, without a thing like, like these film rooms where you can like actually know that for, for, for sure. Um, should we, uh, should we move on now to just the future of, of PPC? What's in store after a, a year full of, full of uncertainty and, um, and an inability to c- conduct in-person combines? Yeah, for sure. So, you know, obviously COVID has thrown things up in the air for us. We've kind of been you know, for a while waiting on how the NBA adjusts to the situation to kind of determine, you know, what our next steps might be. Um, but, you know, as of right now, it's seeming like, you know, chances are slim to none as far as a 2020 PBC, unfortunately, just given the fact that, you know, NBA team personnel are not traveling for the foreseeable future. It seems that an NBA combine is unlikely to happen. Um you know, we're still like evaluating some potential options here and there, but it's looking uh, looking pretty unlikely, unfortunately. Um, but just as far as like what the, you know, future plans are, um, you know, one thing that we uh, are kind of looking into, and I, I think this might have leaked out at some point, is that we're looking to potentially add like a free agent minicamp element to the PBC, uh, which I think could be quite interesting for uh you know some young guys that are looking to kind of make that transition if they started their career overseas maybe coming back across the pond and making their way into the nba or the g league you know even vice versa if someone's you know tapped out in the g league and looking to make more money overseas um maybe some of these nba vets that like you know for example some of these guys that you've seen brought back on board for the bubble rosters right that were kind of sitting around waiting for a call like maybe getting some of them in the mix so we're looking to uh potentially expand and add that free agent mini camp element in 2021 um so that's that could be pretty exciting and you know 
some of your potentially you could see some of your favorite prospects from the past few years that like haven't yet made their way into the NBA, like, you know, taking another crack at it, uh, you know, in that environment. Yeah, that sounds like a, a great way to get um, Charles Matthews back in front of NBA eyes. Yes, and uh, I feel like it, it. Like I feel a moral obligation to like put Charles Matthews's name out there and try try to get NBA teams interested in him. No, for sure, man. Like guys that you know, he obviously was dealing with unfortunate injury circumstance, but that's a perfect you know p- potential candidate for something like that, right? So I think that could be pretty exciting and. Uh, pretty interesting again to see guys in like a kind of unique environment like that and uh so that's been in the works been kind of like planning that out and we're thinking we were thinking about trying to execute it in 2020 but you know with everything going on uh keep a lookout for that in 2021 potentially um and then i mean Personally, uh, you know what? What have you been doing, uh, you know, to grow yourself further as as an evaluator? As you you know, continue down the road with with um, with PBC and and going forward. Yeah. So every I feel like every successive year, I'm like trying to pick something else to sort of like make tangible improvements on, and really like grow and develop in as far as like the whole like becoming a well-rounded talent evaluator because there's so many things that go into it like you know you can't be a master of all by any means but like you can continue to like make those incremental steps so like for me um you know i've gotten kind of close on a handful of nba opportunities here and there over the past few years and one thing that like has been a missing piece to the puzzle for me for some of those opportunities has been uh, my experience with like, uh, you know, data science, right? Like, uh, you know, a lot of basketball ops positions nowadays, like if you have that skill set in your bag to be able to, you know, run some sort of analysis with Python or R or SQL and like be able to code and like take, massive amounts of data and manipulate them, visualize them and, you know, get actionable insights out of them. That's, that's huge. And that's, you know, not to say that like, you know, I'm going to be like a full stop, like a, you know, full stack developer, like crazy coding guy by any means, but like at least, you know, equipping myself enough with that skill to have it be an asset. I, I have found at least in my experience to be something that was missing. So I've kind of taken the past six months to tackle that, doing a like a data science boot camp through Northwestern. You guys are still young, so if it, I would recommend while you're in college, uh, if you have an opportunity to dabble with that, you know, even if that's not your uh, main course of study, I would recommend it because it's definitely something good to know. You know, whether you're getting into basketball or not, like it's just a good skill. Uh, so I would definitely recommend that, and then something that's near and dear to your guys' hearts is uh, kind of the AAU circuit, right? And for me, as far as PBC stuff goes, that's not like as front of mind, right? Like that that ends up being more valuable for some of these younger guys that enter the draft. Like it's it still matters, but for me, that's been something that I haven't been like as tapped 
into in previous years. So that's something that right now I'm trying to kind of dig in, become a little bit more familiar with that landscape, uh, kind of build out my database to include AAU stats therein, which can be a kind of tricky, messy exercise, as both of you yeah. know. Um, so I'll keep you posted on that. But, uh, you know, just kind of trying to, you know, find these minor ways to become more well-rounded, continue to improve while also like maintaining and growing relationships and forming new relationships in the industry. Yeah, I mean, you talk about having a, a well-rounded approach. Um, what, what you have going and what, and what you guys have got going at PBC, where it's everything from studying film with guys, uh, evaluating them personally as individuals, uh, and then you know expanding to, to data, uh, physical measurements. Um, you know, and and then if you're going all the way down now to getting like an AAU prior on that as well. Um, I think it's doing justice to the evalu the level of evaluation that these guys deserve because uh, pro like you know you don't evaluate prospects by watching like two or three games from their draftable season. Uh, there's a lot more that goes into that, and I think what you guys have going is really incorporates uh, everything, and it uh, it produces you know obviously a great platform for for these prospects, but also really good content in the form of um of especially the 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 film rooms so again uh would would strongly advise that everyone checks those out uh they're they're well worth your time um thanks man definitely appreciate the positive words there didn't yeah, know what yeah. i was getting into with these but i'm happy <laughs> that uh you know at least some people are watching and that uh people yeah. seem to be valuing them so appreciate you saying that yep and um and I guess now, Ben, is it is it time for uh, catching eye stuff? Uh, I think I think it is time. Yep. As sports keep coming back, so does your chance to bet on them with our exclusive wagering partner, BetOnline.ag. Major League Baseball will soon be in full swing, and there are no shortage of ways to get in on the action. BetOnline has all the odds, futures, and props for you to bet on. Also, tune in as Floyd Money Mayweather joins the BetOnline team in a new segment called The Ice is Right, where he talks about his expansive jewelry collection. He'll give you the chance to win some great prizes and bet on the cost of his bling. Visit BetOnline.ag to check out all the odds and up-to-date sports news. Don't forget to sign up and take advantage of all the welcome back sports bonuses. Bet online, your on your online wagering experts. 2020 has been the year of things happening that are completely out of your control. But there is one thing you can control, and that's shaving your bush. Our sponsors at Manscaped are here to remind you to do so. The Manscaped Lawnmower 3.0 is a premium electric trimmer that's designed to give you a confidence boost through body image. Their ceramic blade and skin safe technology are designed to reduce nicks or tugs on your fellas down low. The Lawnmower 3.0 is also waterproof and comes with an LED light so you can manscape in the shower, in the dark, or in a dark shower, whatever floats your boat. They also just released their Shears 2.0 nail kit, which is the perfect add-on to their Lawnmower 3.0 trimmer. In fact, listeners of this show will get 20% off plus free shipping with the code armchair at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code armchair. It's time to grab 2020 by the horns by shaving that front trunk. Um, uh, John, you want to get us started? Are these yours or are these Ben's? I can't really No, that. That, I, that was me. So I, I think something that has kind of been intriguing to me that uh, has been 
kind of coming out recently is just given the adjusted timeline of this particular pre-draft process with COVID, you know, the draft would have normally already happened quite a while ago already. Um, and a lot of overseas teams are in the process of kind of like putting their rosters together right now. So what you're seeing are like a decent handful of NCAA uh, prospects that are signing deals overseas. Uh a lot of which are having like NBA outs uh, included therein in case they get drafted or in case they get a good opportunity over here. So um, I think our friend uh, Javier um, was the first one that I've seen use this term of uh, pre-stash, which is a kind of interesting concept, right? Like, like these guys could sign with these teams overseas. Maybe they get drafted. Maybe they don't exercise their out clause if they're, you know, drafted in the second round and they're effectively an NCAA guy who's being stashed, you know, with the team that they signed with overseas. So you're seeing a few interesting guys that have done this to date. You've got obviously Petrushev, uh, his situation's kind of interesting. And that, like that decision, I think kind of made sense for him given, you know, Gonzaga's roster construction, like where he's at as a prospect and going to mega B max is like a good move for him. And, uh, Isaiah Mike uh, being another guy who he was uh, he did a PBC film room uh, super impressive guy but uh, he joined a team in the German BBL so both both of those guys have the potential to you know stay in the draft up until the deadline and then withdraw the, at the international deadline now uh, which I think is like right at the beginning of October. Uh, so they could either be in this class or become auto eligible next year. So kind of wanted to hear uh, your guys' thoughts on that. And then there's a few other, you know, seniors that have signed overseas, like uh, Stephen Enoch from Louisville's in the Spanish ACB. Markel Johnson is in Turkey. Cam McGriff in Belgium. Jamarcus Kennedy, Italy. And John Axel Goodmanson and the German BBL, a few of those guys in the film room. So, like, I'm, I'm just curious what you guys think, like, of this whole kind of uh, new sort of situation and, like, the adjusted timing and how these prospects are handling this. It's, it's, it's fascinating, you know. It, it's, I, I guess, like, not really, but kind of a loophole to extend the early entrant deadline. I mean, yeah. also, you know, it's, like, all, all these, like, you know, more interesting, I think, for the the non-seniors. You know, like you mentioned, the seniors also, um, friend of the program, TJ Holyfield, um, you know, right. like, quite a few guys have, you know, made that leap. And it makes sense, it makes sense for these seniors, especially, to, you know, find some sort of security in, a world lacking any sort of certainty or security. Yeah, um, I think it's fascinating for you know, like Mike and uh, Ben Petrusev, the these underclassmen who have basically like kind of you know tr tried to find their own security overseas instead of because you know the it's though college basketball you know we we don't really know what's going to happen with college basketball in a couple yeah. months. Um, it, it, it's impossible to know what what's going to happen, and you know, as as optimistic as you are, there's I, I think there's a very legitimate chance that the season is is like very abbreviated or maybe doesn't even happen. Uh, but so you know, like trying to secure some sort of you know certainty, as, you know, especially for guys like 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 Petrusev, who probably you know a guy who's already like like by like mainstream college basketball analysts considered one of the best players in the country doesn't mm -hmm. really have much room to go up at this point. I think. Right. Um. 
you know, maybe maybe if he stands out at, at Mega B Max, which like I said is an interesting fit, especially considering like mega status. Like, like I talked about before, it's like a prospect factory. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, you know, a, a, a potential for him to, you know, boost his stock in a different kind of way. Um yeah, I I mean like, like I, I it makes sense. Like I, I get why these agents are are directing the, their, yeah. their clients in this way to try to like like just give them the best chance of their future. Um yeah, I I think it's pretty fascinating and it's like it, it makes sense why a lot of these guys would, would do that. Yeah, I'm really intrigued by it. I mean, like with the Petrushev to Mega thing, like yeah, I think that makes sense in the sense that you're all there are always gonna be eyes on Mega. Like it, it's a good spot to just stay in, in in view of NBA evaluators. Um and they have a strong track record with the development of big men. Um so I, I think I think that definitely makes some sense. The like Isaiah Mike thing is really interesting because Going back to the like Terrence Davis thing, where Terrence Davis essentially chose to go undrafted, um, I think with with the fifty eighth pick or something like that, p- perhaps a team is not interested in Isaiah Mike if Isaiah Mike wants to come into training camp and compete for a roster spot, or or even if he costs a two way or something like that. But Isaiah Mike, who is stashed in Germany, playing in a pretty high level league. Um, and just developing over there, not taking up a roster spot as a guy with his size and shooting ability as something that's just coveted in the NBA. I could definitely see that having some appeal where you've got a pre-made stash in a pretty good spot. um, That's not going to take up any current NBA resources. I think, I think that that could make him actually more appealing as a prospect. I could definitely see that being the case. Uh, And um, I think I think he's one of the guys as well, who you mentioned is is a father. So going and already securing, you know, would probably amounts to pretty decent money uh i think makes a ton of sense for him and it you know whatever whatever agent came up with the this approach to the draft uh is doing a really good job because it it is it is really uh inventive and a a, i think smart way to capitalize on a weird situation with all these messed up deadlines for sure i mean i i think it's really smart and like it's kind of best of both worlds of like giving you you know, maximum sort of flexibility in his case while still, you know, uh, you know, getting that certainty as well of like the financial income and whatnot, right? Like, uh, Ben, the point that you brought up about college basketball being really up in the air, like, I thought that, you know, the withdrawal deadline kind of went mostly chalk as far as who stayed in and who didn't. I kind of thought, I was kind of expecting to maybe see a few more guys kind of uh, explore this, like a few more underclassmen explore this kind of route, given the uncertainty for college basketball. Because I think we're going to see with college sports, it's a little bit more difficult to pull off and execute than it is for like a professional league based on a lot of different things. Um, So I was kind of surprised we didn't see a few more guys do this and uh, especially guys who may be similar to Petrushev, like might be like a little bit more of reached their ceiling, like as a prospect in NCAA, like I'm surprised we didn't see a few more underclassmen, you know, look at this as an option, but I can't really fault anyone for that though, because on the other side of the coin, like it'd be kind of like, kind of scary to like, you know, uproot from where you're familiar and comfortable and like go over, you know, sign a contract to go overseas 
during a pandemic, even though, you know, even though countries overseas are doing better than we are here in the States, but like, there's still, you know, there's still just like a lot to making a decision like that. So I understand why a lot didn't, but I do think it was really creative and interesting for Isaiah Mike particularly to choose this path. And I agree with you, Max, that it could be appealing to teams to have that sort of flexibility there and make him even more appealing than I, I think he already is pretty interesting. So, um, yeah, it's just like a very unique thing that we may never see again, this kind of uh, free stash thing. Uh, but I just wanted to bring that up because that's something that I've been tracking. I've got like, you know, 45 or so guys written down right now that have signed with uh, deals overseas that are like fairly relevant college basketball guys and just interested to see how this plays out and how everyone navigates it going forward. Yeah, it's only tangentially related, but something I did want to ask you about is what kind of mindset guys come into to the pre-draft, pre-draft process with um, thinking more guys who are, who are fringier NBA vets about um, going overseas? Because I, I would think even, you know, not during a pandemic, uh, it's a pretty tough proposition, especially sometimes when you're dealing with guys who, who are very highly coveted recruits who have probably always thought of themselves as NBA talents. I mean, do you find that it's it's mixed in the level of, I guess, self-awareness and preparedness for going overseas? Or or do you think, like, have you seen that guys are, are really pretty prepared to, to do, I guess, what it takes to continue their basketball careers? I'd say it's, I'd say it's a mixed bag. I mean, there are some people that, like, like you, you have some guys that are like have the mindset NBA or bust and you know that mindset can make it a little bit difficult for like agencies who are interested in them as a talent like you know I, you don't want to bring on a guy and give him like false impressions of like we're going to get you to the NBA if that's not realistic and then you just get fired as an agent like pretty early on because of that right uh so there certainly are some guys that are that like I've seen that are like that. But I think, you know, on the whole, most guys are receptive and open to whatever path is best for them in the long run. Um, you know, this year, I'd say the G League is much more uncertain uh, as well. Like that's that's going to be kind of tricky to pull off, given that the G League doesn't really make uh money to begin with right so there's some uncertainty there and a lot of times for people who you know are a little bit worried about potentially going overseas that's a good option for them to start their careers in the g league and be like loosely affiliated with an nba team and like that gives them a sense of comfortability that they could get called up or have an opportunity they're still in the states but man it's it's tricky right now i mean i feel really bad honestly for uh, a lot of the seniors that are coming out this year that like a they didn't get to finish their college basketball season b they didn't get to you know go do portsmouth like uh do a combine do any of this normal pre-draft stuff and see like it's super uncertain almost no matter where they start their uh, professional basketball career so even though we're not having a pbc this year I'm still at least like, you know, with these guys I'm talking to in the film room and stuff, at least trying to like, you know, let them know, like, you know, that I feel for them. And if there's anything that I can do to like, you know, if they want to pick my brain on anything, I'm happy to like help however I can, because like, this is such a really difficult situation for everyone. 
and definitely is for these prospects this year for sure. Yeah, I think that there's some some sort of like instinct to scoff at guys who do choose to return, especially when it seems like they, at the very least, could be professional somewhere or could maybe even get drafted. Um, I, but I, I do have some sympathy for the idea that like you're entering to a world that's so uncertain and tough to navigate that it is really comfortable to just go back to school. Um, so yeah. for for like I don't know like if. if you know, Jared Butler, or Aaron Henry, or a few guys you've talked to have gone back to school to really good programs. Um, and, you know, they were they were very good college players. They're, I think they had stock that was pretty highly valued. But I, I think w- when you consider that, that, you know, you're talking about maybe not necessarily getting NBA guaranteed money, um, not really knowing where you're going to be, maybe having to go overseas or to a G League team, I think that going back to a really good college program where you're going to have a lot of eyes on you, where you're going to... Um, you know, work with, with accomplished and, and uh, respected coaching staffs and stuff like that. I, I think that there is a lot of, there is something to be said for that, for that approach. Um, and I, I think, you know, as, as outside observers, probably like best not to, not to really question decisions that guys are making right now. Um, right. Because it's, it's just, it's a weird situation. Yeah. 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 I can't fault anyone for, kind of any decision they make in these times like whatever like you feel best with and like that that's the right decision for you right now like it's really tough but like the guys that you you know you mentioned there like Jared Butler Aaron Henry and then like Isaiah Livers is another one right uh those guys were all pretty impressive in their film rooms and like definitely have some NBA interest but when we go back to sort of the context element that we were talking about before of the stay or go decisions, like Aaron Henry's is pretty interesting. Cause I'd say like consensus, he's like a kind of like mid second round guy. Right. But uh, you know, with Cassius and Xavier leaving, you know, he might get a little bit more opportunity to kind of, show some creativity on the ball as opposed to being like a more ancillary glue guy. Like maybe that uptick in usage can help propel his stock a little bit potentially. Right. Like that, that at least makes some sense there. Isaiah livers has been hampered with injuries this year. There's some question marks with that, but like, I think it's possible that, you know, him going back to be the right decision there. And then Jared Butler, they could win a national title, right? Like it's, it's hard to leave. Uh, I think his was probably one of the closest decisions out of anybody as far as stay or go based on where he was at, but like can't fault him for going back to school and chasing a national title, like especially given all the uncertainty that's going on. Totally get that too. Yeah. I mean, they, they, have, they have a lot of guards and, and it's maybe not the, the best roster to really expand his role, but he's going to be on a great right. team. He's going to be a really good college player with yep. a lot of eyes on him. Um, I, I have a hard time seeing him really like fall off in terms of stock. Yeah. And you know, if the, if they go on a crazy tournament run and he really just like captures the hearts of, of people, I could, I could definitely see him, you know, it's just one, one of the better players in college basketball being someone that people are, people are really into. Yeah, um, exactly. Like he was already like, I think a third team all American. Right. And, you know, Baylor was a, you know, one of the title favorites this year. I think they will be again uh, in that elite kind of class next year. And yeah, while there might not be the more obvious like roster context reasons for encouragement from like a upping your stock perspective, like I agree with you that there's, 
it's unlikely that it really like drops much. So even if he's able to increase it a little bit and get himself into like tail end of the first round or like early second with a nice guaranteed, like, you know, Daniel Gafford-esque kind of little deal going on, then that's great. So I can't follow him for that decision. And I'll definitely be uh, paying attention to him, um, keeping tabs on him going forward. He's a guy that, uh, you know, really, really nice kid in the film room and, you know, maybe the best handles in college basketball. So he, he's an interesting guy for sure. Yeah. Uh, ben, you want to get into yours? Sure. Um, I just had a quick thought um, about Devin Booker and Kentucky. Uh, as we know, Devin Booker has been awesome in the bubble. Um, has I mean, really awesome this year and is really blossoming into, you know, a star in the league. Um, you know, you, you know, even though, you know, plenty of, um, unaware NBA people, you know, make make light of these, you know, improvements that he's making that he's that he made two or three years ago. That's been, you know, belabored to death. But yeah, I just like in terms of a draft context, um, another one of these guys, these Kentucky guys that you know was uh, like exclusive, pretty exclusively off ball, like a, like a curler on screens kind of shooter type. Um, and now Devin Booker is like a legitimate primary for a team that might sneak into the playoffs in the West. Um, it was funny. Um, I, I don't know if he said this on Twitter or, or in a group chat, but you know, our, our friend PD, uh, friend of the program, you know, s- somebody asked, "What like is there like like what can we learn from Devin Booker? Like is there like was there any way to see this coming?" And and, and the thing he said was, "Have access to UK practices." And <laughs> like it's really true. Like because like there's. I, I think that and, you know, just valuing, like, the, the pre-college um, and uh, other samples. I mean, like, just, there's, like, so many examples of these, uh, of these you know, Kentucky players that just had these skills hidden um, that, you know, en- ended up showing these um, at the, you know, at, at the pro level. You know, you know B- Booker, of course, uh, Jamal Murray's another one in the same ilk. Carl uh, Anthony Talons obviously pre- predicting him to develop into maybe the best big man shooter ever was unrealistic. But, you know, even if you watched him play, like, with with his Dominican Republic team, he was more of a shooter than he was at Kentucky. Um, even, even PJ. Yeah, yeah. Uh, PJ Washington, like, you know, has, like, flashed, like, like showed passing on the move this year that, like, was there in spurts, but not not really uh, at Kentucky. Um, like, and, like, there's, like, negatives. I, I mean, like, those, like, the positives, also, like, negatives. You know, like, a guy like EJ Montgomery, who is, like, a pretty exceptional, like, on ball like passing and handling big in high school who is like a rebounder scrapper in college um yeah i mean like the obvious application here is is, is tyrese maxi who off the line for his you know low three-point percentage and you know i mean that's really the main thing the main the main thing people knock him for in the mainstream you know again just like beyond all of the reasons that we've talked to that we talked to death about believing in maxi you know his three level scoring the 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 sound team defense believing in the shot it's like the fact that he played at kentucky um and like adjusted to a whole new role in like very quickly is i think like good reason you know like not like blanket assume that he's going to like improve like massively in the nba but like, like it's like it's a serious serious consideration um so yeah just just that you know using that devin booker point to you know build off that um trust tyrese maxi um some teams gonna get him in like the, the late teens and people are gonna wonder why you know what why he fell when he's an all-star in year four and <laughs> yeah i mean um oh what was it I forget what I was going to say. Oh, uh, yeah, the um, the like thinking about film rooms and about and adap- uh, adapting to new roles. Maxi did a film room with, with Schmitz, and he did talk about how he, it was difficult adapting to being an off-ball player. 
because it's not something he's done before. He's been a, an on-ball player for for um, his entire life. life. Um, and I don't want to pretend that Tyrese Maxey is like a brilliant pick and roll ball handler. He is decidedly not. Like coming into the year, he like the main concern that I had with him was that he was not a good pick and roll player, and that I thought that he was more of a combo guard. But what I do think he has that that he didn't really show at Kentucky is is the scoring ability. That he is, I think, a really good pull up shooter. Um, I, and maybe not crazy percentages out to three, but good. And that his intermediate scoring game is really, really exceptional in a way that was kind of surprisingly muted at Kentucky. Um, so I think that there are things that Tyrese Maxey didn't show, at least didn't show the extent of uh, of his ability at Kentucky. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a huge believer in him. I think that he is going to come into the league and be shooting just fine and be a pretty competent scorer. Um, and I think it is going to surprise people a ton. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm with the idea that, that Tyrese Maxey's, uh, Kentucky sample should, uh, not be overvalued. Yeah. I mean, that, that definitely makes sense. And I think it, again, comes kind of full circle to some of the stuff we were talking about earlier with like the value of the like combine scrimmages and stuff. Like, you know, maybe if you had Maxey having a normal pre-draft process and like, going and working out for teams and like being pitted against other guards in this class. And you like saw him in those environments or saw him at the combine scrimmages or whatever, like that, that could leave an impression for teams and kind of like uh, you could see some of those things that we know from previous samples more on display in those less structured environments. Right. But like, unfortunately we don't get to see that. Um, But yeah, like it all again comes back to context and it seems like you guys have a good, sort of view of that in his particular situation and like we need to keep in mind with all these one and done guys like the sample is so small that you can't put like too too much weight in like the statistical sort of outlay for some of these guys after you know 30 games right like their first nba season is gonna be more games played than like we have data available for them through their first season plus AAU, right? Like, so, you know, I, like you said, of course, we'd love to be able to sit in on a Kentucky practice and see, you know, Devin Booker, you know, what he can really do and stuff. And like NBA teams obviously have great relationships with Cal, right? Like, so they're, they probably are able to trust Cal and glean some insight from him beyond what you see just on the court. So I think teams are probably doing that due diligence there. And I'm sure that like Cal has great things to say about Maxi. So we'll see how these things play out. It's hard to say from the outside looking in on those types of things, but you know, you're definitely thinking, I feel like you're definitely thinking about and considering the right, you know, layers of context. Um, okay. And then uh, I guess we'll, we'll close this out on a, on a somber note. Um so yesterday I was watching uh, Marco Simonovich for for Mega B Max, and he was playing against um, it's I think it's Vedza is what it is, um, and he, so he was playing against Michael Ojo of course, uh, and Ojo was just kind of manhandling him for the first few minutes of the game, uh, and it's just like every every single time you watch Michael Ojo, I think it, it's striking how superhuman uh, he was, I guess. Um, and so then it was really awful to wake up to the news today that he died, um, while training today. Uh, yeah, it's just for, you know, a healthy 27 year old to, to drop dead while practicing to play professional basketball 
is really heartbreaking. And uh, by all accounts, was a, like a wonderful guy. Uh, I know Trent Forrest put out a video uh, that Ojo had sent them, just being very congratulatory and and supportive. And it was it was really a, a, a tough watch. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to say you know rest in peace to to Michael Ojo to send thoughts to uh, to his family, his friends, his teammates, and just to you know appreciate the life that he led um and how i mean he really did he did appear larger than life at at all times uh and it's uh it's sad to see him go for sure yeah and just truly an incredible human like you said by all accounts you know just all left such an impression on like not only like you know basketball nerds like us who are watching him and after that you know florida state fans his teammates there's an awesome i think like seven ish minute on youtube uh, that i'd recommend everyone goes goes and watch of like him making a traditional african dish with with one of his coaches i think um and it's just it's so fun to watch him you know i watched that this morning it was really it was really fun i mean yeah it's so sad man i i I got into a little bit of a rabbit hole this morning of like watching videos like that and the ACC network put out a really good one that was like a feature done on him when he was at Florida state. And I, I, I reiterate everything that you guys just said there. Like I, that was the year before I really got into the PBC and like where he would have been on my radar and whatnot. Like I'm, but I am, you know, familiar with him and by all accounts seems like he was the nicest dude ever. So that really hit hit hard this morning and I, you know, reiterate everything you guys said, uh, about, about that and just really, uh, tough day for the basketball community. Yeah. So rest in peace to Michael Ojo. And with that, um, I think, uh, unfortunately somber note, but yeah, uh, th- that's all we have today. Uh, thank you so much again to, to John for joining us, uh, for these couple episodes. It was, it was super fun having him on learning a bit more about his process and about, you know, PBC in the future. Uh, you can follow John personally on Twitter at John Chep, follow the PBC at pro B-ball combine. And, uh, John, is there anything you want to plug or say before we end? No, that's all I got guys. Uh, I just want to say, I appreciate both of you keep, uh, doing what you're doing. I know you guys put in a lot of work behind the scenes here and like, you know, and, you know, out there in public, like, obviously, you guys, you know, are very detail oriented and really dig into things and obviously just love basketball. So really appreciate that. Appreciate you guys having me on and, uh, you know, looking forward to, you know, seeing who you guys have on next and continuing to tune in. Yeah, well, thank you so much again for coming on. Everybody go watch all of the PBC film rooms. I mean, like, even if you're not looking to, you know, take away in depth, they're just fun to watch. And you know, even if you're tangentially a fan of college basketball or the draft of these players, uh, it's certainly worth your time. Um, so, yeah, make sure to follow the pod on Twitter at prep number two pro pod. You can follow Max on Twitter at Max A. Carlin. Follow me at Ben underscore Pfeiffer underscore. And unless there's anything else, and either of you want to say, uh, I think I'm going to call it. All right. Uh, so have a good day, everyone, and we'll see you later.